Good evening. Praise the Lord. It's good to see you here this evening. We had a great time this morning. Uh, I, I was a little frustrated at our sound and how it worked out this morning, but I spoke to several people who watched it online or, or recorded it, and they said, we heard it just fine. And so I said, well, that's awesome, because that, that's what I'm worried about is uh, being, able, being able to hear it. Well, I'm so proud of our kids. Uh, they did such a wonderful job, and, and I think what aggravated me the most was that they had their lines and they were doing everything exactly like they were supposed to. And, you know, sometimes the kids will mess up or, you know, they don't remember their lines, but they had it perfect. And it was the sound that messed up. And that, that's what aggravated me. I said, man, for them to be able to come up here and do that. But you know what? I believe that God received the glory this morning for everything, even though it was, it was messed up. And so... Uh, uh, and it wasn't that bad, but, you know, for me, I'm sitting there going, it's horrible, but because uh, if it pops or crackles, but, but uh, I, I'm glad we had a lot of visitors this morning. We had a good turnout, and I think everything, everybody seemed to enjoy it, so it was a, a great time. But we're glad you're back tonight. We're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to celebrate the Lord tonight. A couple of announcements to remember. Uh, heart to Heart, the party, Heart to Heart and Men's Ministry party is this Friday at Dan and Jill John's house. Uh, there is a sign-up form out there. If you would please sign up, they need to know kind of how many's coming to know how much food. 
And so if you're planning on going, uh, even if you don't know if you, what you're going to bring uh, right now, if you'd at least just put your name down, that way uh, they can prepare because they're, they're providing the brisket, and then those that come can bring sides and desserts. Is that correct? Yes. And, and also, uh, we'll do a gift exchange, as Jill said this morning. And so, uh, nothing big and fancy, just something. Uh, we'll have a good, we always have a good time with it. We do the one where you can swap gifts and, and steal gifts, and it's always a good time and a great time of fellowship. And like I said this morning, even if you don't normally attend Heart to Heart or Men's, uh, please come out for that, and, and we'll have a good time. That's this Friday night at 6. If you need directions, uh, let us know. I think Jill posted them online, but we can get you those directions as well. Um, and also, we've got men's breakfast on this, the calendar for this Saturday. Um, I was uh, I was looking to see if Randy was here. I didn't see him. Um, I'm, it's on the calendar, so I'm sure we're still going to have it. Uh, if we can get up that morning after having such a wonderful time at, at the uh, party Friday night. But that's on the schedule, so uh, be sure and be there for that. Uh, the youth are still selling calendars. They're out there in, on the, the welcome desk for $10. Um, buy one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, they're good for gifts. Um, if you know someone that might want to buy one and you want to grab one and take it to them, please feel free to do that. I don't have a problem with that. Um, you can bring the money back if they do buy it. Uh, that's okay. We're, just, we're doing this for camp, to raise money for camp, get a head start on it, because we have to turn in registration in February to go to camp. And so we want to try to get, uh, get a head start on that so we can get the kids ready for camp. And then also, uh, the Christmas schedule for Christmas Day is a Sunday this year. Uh, we will have Sunday morning service at 1030, uh, no Sunday school and no evening service, but we'll have our normal uh, Sunday morning service. And so invite somebody. Maybe you know somebody that, you know, maybe they don't have any family in for Christmas. Bring them to church. It's a great opportunity to share Jesus with them. And, and I'm not sure what we're doing exactly, but I'm sure it will be uh, centered around the birth of Jesus and, and the Christmas story and the, the true meaning of Christmas as we discovered this morning. So uh, uh, don't forget about that. And be sure and get a bulletin. There's things that you can keep up with in the bulletin as well out there. So why don't we stand this evening? Let's open with a word of prayer, and we're going to worship the Lord tonight. Father, we love you tonight. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you. For your presence, Lord, this morning, even though our sound was messed up, but Lord, our, our kids and our youth did a wonderful job sharing the true meaning of Christmas, Lord, that, that, that Jesus came and the birth of Jesus, our Savior, is the true meaning of Christmas, not the commercialism. And Lord, we thank you for all that happened this morning, God, the lives that were touched as a result of that. But Lord, again tonight, we've come into your house, Lord, to worship you. And I pray tonight that you move, that your Holy Spirit begin to stir within us, God, a desire to be closer to you, Lord, and to just move in this place tonight, Lord. We love you tonight. We praise you, Lord. We give you glory in the name of Jesus.
says in Revelation when we all get to heaven and Jesus walks out it says we're going to throw our crowns at his feet and we're going to proclaim holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty can we take a moment and just practice that in our own words can we just tell him that he is holy Lord you're so holy Lord in everything Lord you're pure and holy God you're worthy of our praise because of your holiness Lord and Lord because you're holy you said we can draw nigh to you Lord we can become holy and God, we praise you tonight and we glorify you because of your holiness, God. God, we just want to practice rejoicing in you. We want to practice worshiping you tonight because you're worthy, God. Because you're our Savior, God. You're our healer, our deliverer. You're, you're the worker of miracles, God. And we praise you tonight. We thank you for everything that you're doing, Lord. We glorify you for everything you're doing. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, you are holy. You are holy, Lord, and you're worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. I was looking kind of spread out a little bit tonight. That's all right. Um, there's not a lot here tonight. Some, we're we'll going to do it this way. I, I like having prayer for needs. Um, maybe you have a need. If you just like to just just mention it real quick, uh, we don't do this a lot. I, a lot of churches have kind of gotten away from this, but I feel like, and I understand we have a large crowd. It's not easy to do. But if you have a need tonight, let's uh, let's remember Dennis's wife. Uh, she thought she was going to get to come home from the hospital, and she didn't today. So let's just remember her. Um, anyone else have a need that you'd like us to remember tonight? Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Okay. Anyone else this evening? Yes. Okay. Okay, let's remember them. Anyone else? Amen. I'm going to talk about miracles a little bit tonight. I believe God's still a God that heals. Amen. He still performs miracles. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand one more time and let's just go before the Lord. Maybe you're here. You have a need that, that you didn't speak. It's an unspoken need. Uh, you just signify that tonight. We're just going to take these to the Lord. And let's just let's remember our nation as well. Yeah. Let's just remember all the needs on the list as well. But look, let's go to the Lord. Father, we praise you. Lord, I thank you because you're a God that answers prayer. Lord, you've never, you've never failed us. You've never let us down. Lord, we've never come to you with a need and you turned us away. And Lord, we know that tonight as we come before you with these needs that were mentioned, that you're going to touch lives tonight. You're going to send healing, God. You're going to strengthen those. And God, we praise you right now because we know that you're still on the throne. You still perform miracles that you have never lost your strength. You've never lost your power and you never will. And, Lord, we lift up each one of these tonight. God, you know, you know each of their needs personally, Lord, even the unspoken. Father, and I pray that you just right now begin to move, begin to intervene on their behalf, Lord, Father. And we praise you for healing right now. We praise you for deliverance and strength right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We love you tonight. We give you glory, God, for all that you're doing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Maybe seated as the ushers come. We'll take up our tithes and offering this 
evening. I didn't mention this morning, I want to say thank you to everyone that helped with our kids program. Uh, we, uh, there were several that, I, I put a few on there, but there were some others that came and helped. Also, I didn't mention it, I should have, but I, I got flustered with the uh, uh, sound system. But we left off one of our girls, Natalie Everett, played the, the little teenage uh, granddaughter of Charlie Brown. And so uh, I hate that I left her off of the, the paper. She pointed it out to me, so uh, I apologize to her, but I hate that. Do we have any ushers tonight? Are we? we it's okay. We can just put your money, put uh, your offering in, the, in the, the boxes outside if you have your tithing offering tonight. I know a lot of times on Sunday night we don't we don't always have a lot of tithe and offering come in because everybody gives on Sunday morning. So, uh, but we appreciate your giving. Like I said, tonight I want to talk about miracles a little bit. Uh, we don't. Well, I say I haven't heard a lot about miracles. Um, thank you, guys. I, they were waiting on the offering. I don't hear a lot of preaching and teaching on miracles anymore. We hear about faith and we hear about God's love, but, but I believe that God still performs miracles. Amen? And if I didn't believe that, I couldn't believe in faith. I couldn't believe in healing. I wouldn't pray for it because uh, I, I think it's the word miracle that throws people off. I think the, the fact that a miracle is something we expect to be great. We, we think of miracle, we think of someone coming back from the dead. We think of miracle, we think of someone, uh, you know, uh, a limb growing back that was cut off or severed. We, we think of some great thing, but you know, there's a lot of little miracles that God still performs. Uh, God is, I believe, the God of miracles, and, and uh, there's times that we need a miracle. Yeah. A miracle is simply something that we cannot do on our own. It's something that we can't explain. It's something that only some supernatural power can do. And I believe that supernatural power is God, and he's still in the miracle working business. And I want you to understand that. Uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. And I should have all the scriptures on the screen. I tell our teenagers, the only time you can be on your cell phone during church is for looking up scriptures in. And they always have that little side thing where it's the scripture. So if they're doing something else, they can switch it over real quick. <laughs> Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is actually the first miracle uh, after the, of, of the early church that's recorded. This is the first time that we see, uh, other than the actual day of Pentecost, where, where thousands were saved, which I don't necessarily consider that a miracle, but this is the first uh, healing miracle that we see. In Acts chapter 3, verses one uh, beginning of verse 1 says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful, so he could beg from the people going to the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. And the lame man looked up at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. 
he jumped up, stood to his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. And they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's uh, colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Let's pray over the message tonight. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have to look at your word, Lord. And I pray tonight, God, that you would just anoint the words. Lord, anoint this message. Lord, let it be your word, not mine. Your will, not mine. And Lord, I pray that you would move in our service tonight, God. We praise you and we give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Like I said a while ago, this was at the very beginning of the church. If you, if you read through the history of Acts, if you, if, you like, if you enjoy that, I kind of enjoy reading the history and seeing what it... But in Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus' ascension. This is after uh, Jesus had already come, and, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record that. And we, we see Luke has continued to writing the story, continued on with it. We see Jesus, uh, he goes before the disciples and the others that are gathered. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send a comforter to you. And, and right before their eyes, uh, two angels come down, and he ascends back to heaven. And so Jesus' time here on earth is over. And that's Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, the comforter comes. The Holy Spirit comes. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit fall on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. We see 120 people filled with the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire upon their head, and they begin to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the utterance. That was the beginning of the Pentecostal church. And trust me, they were charismatic. We know that because whenever people walked up and said, man, these guys must be drunk. Look at the way they're acting. Now, I don't know. You ever been accused of being drunk? I've been accused of being stupid, but I don't know if I've ever been accused of being drunk. But these guys, were, they were speaking in other tongues, and people from out of town, even out of the area, was coming and saying, they're speaking my language, and these are not educated men. How can they be speaking my language? And so Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and the boldness and the power that Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, stepped up and began to preach, and he shared about Jesus. And 3,000 people got saved. Man, that's wonderful. His first sermon, 3,000 people. I've never even preached to 3,000 people. And Peter gets 3,000 saved on his first sermon. And if only half of them got saved, that means he preached even more than that. But that's Acts chapter 2. The end of Acts chapter 2, the last five verses, I think it's 42 through 47, talks about them establishing what we call a church. They didn't necessarily call it a church, but it talks about how they got together. They did five things that I feel like our churches today need to do, and I'd like to share that with you sometime, but not tonight. But the, they established the church, and so the church of Jesus Christ as we know it, and we, we'll call it the Assembly of God Church because they were Pentecostal. I said one time, I, and, and I may get in trouble for this, I don't know, but I, uh, you know, there was 300 that was there when Jesus ascended. There was only 120 in the upper room. I said, well, the others were over at John the Baptist's house. Anyway, some of you may catch that in a minute. But, but in the upper room, the, the, or after, after the upper room experience, they established the church. And you flip over to, page, or to Acts chapter 3, and this is kind of the beginning of that church. And this is how it began, and this is how Luke recorded that it began with a miracle. And this is powerful for us. Because it shows us that Jesus performed miracles on earth and he talked to, or, or he healed the people, he raised the dead, he, he put 
spit in the ground, made mud, put it in the blind eye, uh, a guy's uh, eyes, and he could see again. I mean, the miracles that Jesus did. They expected miracles from Jesus. Matter of fact, the woman with the issue of blood knew that she could be healed if she could just touch Jesus. And she reached out in the crowd, touched the hem of his garment, and was healed. They expected miracles from Jesus. They didn't expect it from the disciples because Jesus was gone now. And so I believe the Lord wants us to understand that just because Jesus is not on earth, he still is performing miracles. He's still healing. He's still delivering. And we don't have to have Jesus standing there with us in order to do it. And so we see Peter and John as, as, as Acts chapter 3 begins and they're going to the temple. And I find it interesting they're still going to the temple for prayer. They're not going for church service. They're going for the prayer time because they still believed in the power of prayer. And although they were now Christians and they were not following the Jewish traditions, they were still going for a time of prayer. Like it's so important that it gives us an example of we still need to have time of prayer. We still need to continue to pray to God. Even though we have the new covenant with Jesus, it's important that we continue to pray. And as they're going, they see this, this lame man. The man that was crippled since birth. And he, he asked them for money, as he has everyone else. Now, a little side note, this guy knew when to be there. He was, in, he was almost standing in front of Walmart on Black Friday. He knew when the people were going to the temple and when it would be busy because this is the time for prayer. It was a scheduled time. And he knew this was going to be a lot of people. And he probably received a lot of money at this point, more so than other times. And so uh, when, when they walked up, his, everyone else, he cried out to them, can you spare some change? Alms is what we used to say, alms for the poor. And, and he cried out to them, and Peter and John walked up, and I don't know why Peter said it this way, but he looked at him and he says, I don't have any money. Now, I, I don't know that Peter didn't have any money on him, but I believe that what Peter looked down and he saw a need, and he said, I don't have money because money's not what you need. He says, but what I have, the Holy Spirit gave it to me just a few days earlier. Jesus has been teaching it to me for three years. He says, what I have is the power of God that heals. And even though Jesus isn't here to heal you, I believe that he is. Jesus said, greater things will you do than me in my name. And he didn't say in the name of Peter. He said, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And right then... As he did that, he reached down and he grabbed the man by the hand and he lifted him up. I believe right there in that moment, that crippled man had a choice to make. He could either stand up and receive his healing and receive his miracle, or he could say, no, 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 no. That's not what I asked for. If you notice, he didn't ask for healing. And I find it interesting. I believe Jesus probably had walked by this man before and he didn't cry out for healing. But when Peter reached down and grabbed him, that man had to make a decision right then. Do I want my healing? Do I want to rise up and walk? Or do I want to remain where I've been all of my life? And this is where he had been all of his life. The Bible said he'd been crippled since birth. In Acts chapter 4 verse 22, it says that was more than 40 years. So about my lifetime, he had been crippled. It's all he'd ever known. He'd never known the joy of walking and running and leaping. He'd never known the experience of having to go and work for a living because the Bible says that, that his friends would carry him to the gate and sit him there and he would ask for money. He had never known the experience of carrying himself. And so he had a choice to make. If he was healed, 
nobody would carry him anymore. If he was healed, he would have to work for money. If he was healed, it would change his life completely. And so he had a choice to make. Would he give up his miracle? Or would he give up the way of life that he's always known over 40 years? It's not like he was in an accident and was crippled for a few. This is all he'd ever known his entire life was being lame and having to beg for money and having to have people carry him around. Now, I've asked people to carry me around. Nobody has volunteered to do it. But that's all he'd ever known. And so he would have to give up either his miracle or the life that he's known. And I, I believe for this man, it was an easy decision. Because he saw everybody else walking. He saw everybody else doing this. And for him, it was an easy decision because the Bible doesn't say that he resisted, that he pulled back or he questioned it and said, wait a minute, what if I fall? No, the Bible says when Peter grabbed him by the hand and began to lift him up, it says that he leapt to his feet and he began leaping around and jumping in joy and began to praise God. How about you? What will you give up for your miracle? Now, that sounds like a silly question because this guy had to give up his job. Think about that for a minute. To receive his healing, he had to give up his way of life, his income, because this is how he made his money. And if he no longer could sit there and beg, if he began jumping around as he did and praising the Lord, everyone would see that he's, work, that he's healed and now he can go and work. And he had to give up his job. Have you ever had the Lord ask you to give up your job? Have you ever had the Lord ask you to give something up to receive a blessing? And so my question tonight and the title of this message is, what will you give up for your miracle? I have a hard time titling messages, so I took it literally what, he, what I believe he had to decide. Is it worth giving up for this message? I want to look at another man who needed a miracle. The Bible is full of people that received miracles. I want to look at another man and, and the things that he had to give up in order to receive his miracle. In 2 Kings chapter 5, there's a man we read about named Naaman. Now, I, didn't, I don't know who made up names back then, but if he was a woman, he may have been Nay Woman. But he's Nay Man. I don't, I don't, okay. I don't understand some of the names back then, but. But we find a man named Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5, and, and we find that he's a great commander for the army of Aram. Uh, some say Samaria. Uh, some versions will call it Samaria. And, and the Bible says that the king greatly admired him because he was a great warrior and a great leader. And, and he would go out and he would win battles for the country, and he, would, he was able to uh, even deliver them when they were being attacked. And, and so he was a great man, a powerful man, and he had favor of the king. But there was a problem he had. He had leprosy. And most of you know this story, how that there was a servant girl that, that they had taken from Israel when they had attacked Israel. And she had come into his household and was his wife's servant. And this girl, when she, uh, she, she went to the, uh, his wife and she said, I know a man in Israel that can heal Naaman. Now, the girl may not have fully understood how the power of God worked, but she knew that there was a prophet named Elisha who had performed miracles, and she knew and was confident in her God that the prophet Elisha could heal Naaman from his leprosy. And so uh, we know the story that uh, uh, Naaman went to the king. The king said, yes, go, and he sent him with a bunch of money and, and uh, some clothes. I didn't really understand why he sent clothing, but it, <clears throat> it must have been a very valuable clothing. But he sent him with all this to the king of Israel, uh, when Naaman got to the king, now remember, 
this is a powerful, uh, what would be maybe a general, came to the king, and the king, the Bible says, rent his clothes and, and, and was upset because he knew if he couldn't perform this miracle, if he couldn't heal this man, he might be attacked and defeated. And so Elisha heard about it, and he sent a note to the king and said, why are you so upset? Just send him to me. Elisha and the king didn't have a great relationship because the king was not following God. But Elisha said, send him to me. And so in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9, it says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, God, Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the, the Farpar better than any rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. I'm sorry if I say those names improperly. I think it's Farpar. That's how it looks. Many of you know who Charles Spurgeon is. He was a great man of God, an evangelist, great preacher in the 1800s, led revivals everywhere. I'll say this little disclaimer. I've heard some people say, why do you, why do you like Spurgeon so much? He was, not, uh, he was a Baptist preacher. And I said, well, because we didn't have the assemblies then. Uh, the great Pentecostal movement didn't hit till later. But that doesn't change the fact that he preached the word of God. And many, 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 many people were saved because of it. And he helped many people. Even today, uh, he's, his teaching is so powerful. But I, I read that uh, he spoke about Naaman. And he said uh, Naaman was attacked by two enemies. And this is what he said. Proud self and evil questioning. I'll say it again. There were proud self and evil questioning. Now, those sound a little bit weird because we're not, in the mid, we're not in the middle of the 1800s and we speak a little differently now. And so I look at that and I see the two things that he's saying that Naaman struggled with was pride and doubt. Proud self and evil questioning. Pride and doubt. And so these are two things I feel like we still struggle with today. And I feel like it, just as he said about Naaman that these things were something that would keep Naaman from receiving his miracle that he would have to give up I feel like sometimes we still struggle with that today and I'm going to talk about it for just a moment uh, Naaman allowed his pride to well up when Elisha didn't come out to speak to him instead he sent the servant now think about this Naaman is known so well as a powerful general as a powerful commander of the Sumerian army as the, the Aaron Sumerian army that when he went to the king of Israel the king was afraid of him because the king didn't dismiss him. He didn't say, get, get out of here, you leper. Don't, don't make us attack. No, he was afraid of him. And he walks to, or he rides his horses and his, his, his group, I don't know how many, probably had a bunch of soldiers, had a whole caravan with him, comes to Naaman's house, and, or comes to Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't even go to the door. Now think about this. If you're sitting in your house and a bunch of, uh, of limousines roll up and a bunch of policemen roll up and there's American flags on it and, and Mr. Trump steps out and, and walks up to your door and knocks on your door, are you going to ignore him? I didn't say Biden. I, didn't, I figured you'd, most of you would probably ignore him. But Mr. Trump walks up to the door in his red tie and he knocks on your door and you look out the front window and you see who it is. 
and there's secret servicemen and there's policemen. You know, he still travels with all that. Are you going to ignore him? Are you going to send one of the kids? Go see what he wants. I'll send Ethan. Go see what he wants. I'm busy. I'm eating dinner or maybe I'm watching Wheel of Fortune or something. I don't know. No, you're going to get up and you're probably going to go and, you know, maybe grab a shirt that doesn't have dinner on it and, and, and straight, make sure your hair looks good. You know, you're going to, and you're going to go to the door and you're going to open it up and you're going to, yes, sir, how can I help you? But Naaman, who was a powerful figure, when he came to the door, Elisha said, and Elisha knew he was coming because remember he told the king, send him to me. And yet he didn't even walk to the door. He sent a servant. We don't know what, what the servant's duties were, but he sent the servant to the door and he said, tell him this. Tell him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and he'll be healed. Now for Naaman, his pride welled up within him. Naaman, I am the commander of the great army. I could destroy this place. Does he not know who I am? How in the world does he not come to the, he doesn't even respect me enough to come to the door and answer the door. He sent some servant, some lowly servant to come and Naaman's pride welled up within him and, and his pride began to immediately dismiss anything that Elisha said. I believe at that point, Naaman got so upset about it that even if Elijah had come out or Elisha had come out later, he probably would have said, no, 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 I don't want to hear it because you've already offended me. And Naaman became, became offended. Charles Spurgeon also said, as I was reading uh, a little bit of his commentary about this, he said, the Ten Commandments are like ten great pieces of ordinance. Every one of them is pointed against our own pride and self-righteousness. Even the Ten Commandments were given to help us humble ourselves and keep us from having pride. And today we have a term that would describe Naaman's response. We call it Entitlement. Well, do they not know who I am? Does the Lord not know who I am? Does this prophet not know who I am? Do you not know? I'm entitled to this. I am a child of God. I'm a member of the church. I'm, I am this. I, I do this. I have this title and this accolade and this title. And, and, and we like to blame the millennials about entitlement. But some of us, I don't know what we are, older than millennials, when we go in the grocery store and you expect me to check myself out? <clears throat> well, I can remember the day when they had to pull the sticker and look at it and punch the price in. And, choo -choo, and then put... Some of you know what I'm talking about. These kids are like, what are you talking about, sticker? I remember when we didn't even use barcodes. I, my first job was at Homeland when I was 16 years old. And, you know, that was... Back then you had to actually count money back to people. You had to know how to count money back then. The computer didn't do it all for you. But you want me to check myself out? I saw a meme the other day that said, uh, when's the Walmart cashier uh, employee party? The self-checkout party, because I need to go to it. But entitlement, man, we all feel that way. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I worked for 40 years and I retired? Don't you, you should have more respect. We all kind of get that, that pride. We like to say entitlement. Millennials are entitled. They didn't deserve it. They haven't worked and earned it. But sometimes we get that way too. God, I expect a miracle. God, I expect you to just come and heal me because your word says it. I'm standing on your word. And, and that is true. He said it. But sometimes when our pride wells up within us, God, I've been going to church all my life. God, I, I tithe. God, I'm faithful to church. I teach Sunday school. God, I do. 
And we expect it. And, our, and then when we don't receive it immediately, that pride begins to go, well, God, I guess you just don't want to heal me. You just don't care enough about me. And this is what happened to Naaman. I'm afraid Christians often miss their miracle because they believe they're entitled to it. See, the beggar at the, the gate, he didn't feel he was entitled to it. Matter of fact, he didn't even ask for it. He did the same thing he did every day. But you know what? God saw him. God saw the need, and God blessed him, and he gave him a miracle even still. He didn't have to ask for it. He didn't have to beg for it. He didn't, he didn't say, you should. I, I said it a while ago. I, it, Jesus had to have walked by this man at some point. One of the movies, I don't know if it's The Passion of the Christ, I don't know if it's one of the plays we watched this year, but I saw as the high priest Caiaphas walked by and he, said, and he called him by name and he threw him some coins because he was so familiar. The Bible says he was over 40 years and had been at that gate for so long. Everybody knew who he was, but yet he didn't feel entitled to stand up, or, or to, not to stand up, but he didn't feel entitled to cry out, you're supposed to heal me. And so he didn't allow his pride to overcome him. But Naaman allowed his pride to overcome him. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and I will lift you up. Sometimes we need to humble ourselves. Sometimes we need to give up our pride. Sometimes we need to give up, well, don't you know who I am, God? Don't, don't you know who I am? You're supposed to have already healed me. Don't, don't you know, God? In order for Naaman to receive his miracle, he had to give up his pride. That was the first thing. The second thing he had to give up, and I like the way Charles Spurgeon said it, was evil questioning. And I call it doubt. We call it doubt. But I, I like the evil questioning because, after all, isn't the enemy who's causing you to question God? I don't think the Lord wants us to question him and doubt him. I believe the enemy puts doubt in our hearts. You can't be healed. Healing is not real. There's no miracles today. When's the last time you saw somebody come back from the dead? When's the last time you saw somebody prayed over and they just instantly were healed? When's the last time? And, and that doubt begins to creep in. And I'll tell you, doubt becomes such a great thing. And we allow those questions to begin to grow in us. And those questions come from the enemy. There's a, there's a kid movie that came out a, a year or two ago. And, and it was talking about the, um, I forget the name of the movie, but they were talking about the, the, when you're afraid. And the other kid says, I always say, Silencia Bruno. And he says, I say that, and it quietens down that fear within me. And I think sometimes we need to tell the devil, silence. Be quiet. Get this doubt out of here. Don't bring these questions, these evil questions up within me. And then we need to forget about those questions of saying, can God heal me? Will God heal me? Here's some evil questionings that, that, that Naaman, I think, probably experienced when he heard this. These are some questions he might have asked. What virtue can there, what virtue can there be in water? <laughs> Dip in the Jordan River? What, what's the point of that? Why should I be told to go and wash it all? I've washed, excuse me, I've washed many times and it's never cured my leprosy. Powerful man like Naaman had wealth. He, he took baths all the time. It's never healed him before. This disease is not so easily gotten rid of. But supposing there is a, medis, a medical influence in water, why must I wash in the Jordan River? It's kind of like there's some rivers around here I'm afraid to get in because you may come out with more than you went in with. Perhaps he said, it's just a ditch. Why can't I go wash in some of my own rivers? You know, 
Why would you want to go down here to the Washita? It's nearly empty most of the year. You can go to the Red River. You go to Mississippi. There's some better rivers. He says, we have medicinal streams in our own land. Uh, if you've ever been to sulfur, they, they, they believe, and some still believe it. I don't know if it's true, but it has medicinal powers. Uh, every time my dad would go visit, he would grab a handful and drink it, and then everybody would stand back when he talked to him. Definitely had a... If you didn't want people near you, you could, it would affect that. But some people believe there's, there are medicinal streams. And he said, perhaps maybe there's medicinal streams in our own land. The Abana and the Farper are cleaner and wider, and their current is much stronger than the Jordan. And the Jordan empties into the Dead Sea. There's no life in it. And these questions, the enemy began to pose to him. I can see him thinking it over and telling his, his people, this is ridiculous. And he would say, can I not even go home and wash there? Why do I have to do it here? How is it that I came all the way from Samaria to see him and then he tells me to go wash and be, this is ridiculous. You see, doubt will tell you this. It's absurd. Absurd. God asked you to do what? That's ridiculous. That's, that, that, that can't work. Doubt will tell you this. It's contrary to the nature of things. That's not going to work. That, that, that's never worked before. That, that's not how life works. That's not how things work. Naaman dipped seven times in the Jordan River. Well, what's that going to do for me? How, how is that going to do it's, it? That's not how healing works. That's not how medicine works. Okay? Doubt will say to you, it can't be possible. And our response is, well, if it can't be possible, I'm not even going to try it. And this is what Naaman said. How, that's not possible. Sometimes we pray for healing. We pray for deliverance. Sometimes we pray for a financial miracle. Miracles aren't just healing. Sometimes we pray for a family member that needs to be saved. We pray for all kinds of miracles. Well, that's not possible. I've heard so many people say they needed a financial blessing. They needed a miracle on their finances. And the Lord said, give. God, that's not how it works. I don't get more money by giving it away. I need this bill paid by this date. And you're telling me to give my money to someone else? That's not the nature of things. Can't be possible. And so we say, that, that, that can't work. And so doubt says these things, but I'll tell you what the Lord said in Psalms 46.10. He says, be still and know that I am the Lord. That's powerful right there. Yeah. Be still and know that I am the Lord. Man, when doubt comes along, if we'll just be still and know that God is Lord. When those questions come up, we tell the enemy, be silenced because God is the Lord. God is the healer. God is my miracle worker. That should eliminate all pride and all doubt that we have in our lives. Now, I know we've all been there. We may not be in that situation now, but we've all been there. And I'll tell you, a little over a year ago, I was laying in a hospital and doubt was creeping in. This, it wasn't pride at that point, but doubt was creeping in. I think probably doubt affects us and robs our miracles more than pride does. Because as I lay there in that hospital, and that night that I got so bad, they kept putting more and more oxygen on me, and they come in with these big ma or this mask, and, and in my mind, the enemy was telling me, you're about to die. In my mind, the enemy's telling me, they're about to put a vent on you, and you're not going to recover, because nobody that I knew had ever been on a vent and had recovered. And I had watched my dad go through this nine months earlier, and he didn't recover. And that doubt and that evil questioning began to come in. And, of course, everybody was questioning, are you taking this medicine? Don't let them give you this and don't let them do it. And, and I said, Lord, I, I, I've got to just put it in your hands. And that scripture came to me, be still and know that I'm Lord. Matter of fact, the little girl come in that was the nurse. I say she's a little girl. She wasn't little. The nurse came in and she said, I understand 
that you're worried. She said, I understand you're scared, but you're going to have to calm down. And I'm thinking, have you seen what this, this, this stuff they're putting on me? I'm scared to death. And she said, you're going to have to calm down. And I said, Lord, I can't calm down. You're going to have to do it. And the Lord said, be still. He said, peace. And the Lord began. But that doubt was creeping in, and I needed a miracle. And just like Naaman, I began to say, but it's, it, it, I've heard it too many times. I've seen too many people go through this, and I know it how it ends. And that doubt and that evil questioning began to come in. But the Lord began to speak peace, and he began to, he began to send healing. Now, fortunately for Naaman, we know the story. Uh, he had some wise officers with him. He should have doubled or tripled their salary after, and he may have after this. But the Bible continues the story in, in 2 Kings 5, verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey when he says simply, Go wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. You see, Naaman had brought money. I think he'd brought 150 pounds of silver and something, 50 or 100 pounds of gold and, and so much clothing, expensive clothing with him. He was prepared to pay for his miracle. And I believe if the prophet had said, if you'll go to such and such land and drink from this certain well, that he would have done it. He even said, I expect him to come out and wave a magic hand or a magic wand and say some quote or incantation over me and be healed. He would have done anything except what he asked him to do. And that was a simple thing. If he just said, climb the tallest mountain and eat a snowflake, I don't know. I believe he would have sent his soldiers and he would have went, he would have made it happen. But one simple thing, even the, just because it didn't make sense. And they talked to him and he says, okay, I'll try it. Now, the Bible says he dipped in the Jordan River seven times. I, I read a commentary and it says they believe he, he plunged into the, I always imagined that he got out in it and he went one, two, seven times. But after I read that commentary, I thought, well, that makes more sense. You know, and then, you know, climbed out and did it seven times. And after that seventh time, when he come up out of the water, that leprosy was just peeling off of him and he was gone. The Bible says he had skin of a baby. I don't have skin of a baby. If I ever go to the Jordan River, I'm going to dunk in it seven times, see if. Maybe some, maybe some of the, I don't know. See, Naaman almost missed his miracle because of his pride and his doubt. Because he almost allowed those things to overcome. But Naaman, fortunately for him, he was able to give up those things for his miracle. And so tonight, my question for you again is, what will you give up for your miracle? Now you may think, well, I don't need a great big miracle. It doesn't matter. A small miracle is a miracle. And the Bible says that God wants, he knows the needs of our hearts. He knows our desires and he wants to meet them. The Bible says he'll meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. The Bible says ask and you will receive, seek and you'll find, knock and it will be answered to you. God wants to answer your needs. He wants to meet your needs no matter how great or how small they are. You may not be laying in a hospital with COVID or with, with pneumonia. You, you may just have a headache. And it may take a miracle because I've heard of some people that have headaches and migraines and they need a miracle. And we may not think, well, that's not a bad thing. I can take some, some medicine and it'll help. It. But you know what? God may say, hey, go stick your head in a swimming pool. I don't know if he's going to say that or not. 
But God may ask you to do something strange. Like I said a while ago, God, if you need a financial miracle, God may say, hey, I want you to give to this cause or to this, this, this missionary or give to this certain thing this amount of money. I, I've heard so many stories about that. I heard a story about an evangelist who went to preach, and he had his wife had given just enough money that he could put gas in his car and get back home after speaking, and he said, well, surely they'll pay me. And he spoke, and it was a great service. They had an altar service, and, and, and he lingered around afterwards, uh, and he was expecting to get paid, and they never, no one ever approached him and, and, and gave him payment for coming and speaking and ministering. And so he said, uh, he said and, and they, they took up an offering, and he felt the Lord say, put that $20 or whatever it was in that offering. And then after the service, he lingered around. No one came to him, and he knew he didn't have enough gas in his car to get back home. And he knew he didn't have a dime on him. And said he went to his car and he was just getting in it and starting it up to drive off. And someone came and they tapped on his window. And they said, and it wasn't the church, it was someone in the church. They said, the Lord told me to give this to you. And they handed him a $100 bill. Now, why didn't the church pay him? I don't know. But the, the bottom line is, even though he had given his last 20, the Lord impressed on him to give that money. And now he was worried how he was going to get home. And someone came and met that need. Not only met that need, not only gave him money for gas, but... He probably stopped and got him a burger on the way home, too. But I've heard so many stories of that. I remember one. I can't remember how exactly it goes, but said that uh, they, they didn't have money for a bill, and the Lord impressed on them to give to a missionary or something in church. And, and so they prayed about it, and they gave the money. And the next day, they heard their screen door slam. Remember when we used to have screen doors we'd leave open and not heard the screen door slam? They went back there, and there was an envelope pinned to the screen door, and it had enough money exactly for that bill. And they said, I didn't share with anybody but it was exactly the right amount of money they needed for that bill. God still performs miracles. And you say, that don't make sense. How could they, someone have known they needed that exact amount? God knows. That's all we need to know. And I believe what he says, be still and know that I'm God. And so tonight, maybe you have a miracle that you need. Maybe you know someone that needs a miracle. And again, we think a miracle is this big thing. Miracles are small things. God sees us in the small things just like he does the great things. And I, I encourage you tonight, whatever the Lord's asking you to do, sometimes it's just simply having to give up what we've known for so long. Sometimes he may be asking us to change our lifestyle a little bit to get a miracle, just like he did the, that crippled man. I, again, he could have said, no, 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 I just want money. How many people have you seen and heard stories about they try to give them a job and they say, no, no, I can make more money begging but he could have said that. No, no, no. I don't want to walk. I don't want to have to carry myself. I enjoy someone carrying me. I enjoy sitting here and everybody knowing me. And they can, if I do this, I may have to go work in a field somewhere. But for him, it was worth it. And you know what? I believe God used that man to reach others. Matter of fact, the Bible says that. I don't have it in my notes, but the Bible says if you read, uh, if you read on in that chapter, it says that he went into the temple rejoicing and praising God. And the people said, wait a minute. That's so-and-so. We've seen him out there for years. How in the world? And he said, because God healed me. And because of that, God used him. And it says that the church grew to 5,000 people. And imagine that. Imagine if we pray for somebody, they receive a healing and people will come because they know that God is moving. That's powerful right there. That's a way to grow a church. Imagine planting a church with 3,000. You start your church with 3,000. A couple of days later, it boosts up to 5,000. That's amazing. Imagine planting a church with 20, and a few days later you're running 100 because of what God is doing. Because we're willing to give up 
what God asks us to give up for our miracles. The Bible says also that Naaman gathered up as much dirt as he could carry from Israel. And he says, I'll never pray except on this dirt from Israel. Basically, he made him a prayer area where he could worship the Lord on Israeli dirt. Because he said, I want to know the God of Israel because he's healed me. And he went back and he offered money to Elisha and Elisha didn't take it. Because Elisha knew that it wasn't him that did it, it was God. So I want you to know tonight, God has a miracle for you. God has whatever your needs are. He wants to meet your need, whether it's a healing, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whether it's spiritual, whether it's family. It could be emotional need. Whatever that need is, God wants to meet it. God wants to perform a miracle. Let's pray. Father, I love you tonight, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you're still in the miracle working business. Lord, I thank you that I know all I have to do is call on you and you'll rush to my side. Lord, just like the prodigal son, when the father saw him coming from a way off, Lord, he ran to him. I believe that's how you do. When we come to you with our needs, you'll run to us. But Lord, sometimes we have to give up something to receive our miracle. And God, it's not always easy. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's just our way of life. So it's what we've known. And we're not willing to give that up. And we miss out on a miracle. But God, I pray tonight. That, that everyone in this place, Lord, they know of a miracle that needs to happen in either their life or someone they know's life, their loved one's life. And God, I pray right now, God, as, as you begin to move, they open up and they receive it. And God, as your word says, be still and know that you are the Lord, that you are God. You, you are in control. And Lord, you give us peace through that. Lord, we praise you tonight and we love you and we glorify you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe tonight you, you know someone that needs a miracle. Maybe you need a miracle. And this is how I want to close service tonight. Why don't we all come find a place to pray? And why don't we just ask God, God, this is the need that I have. And hopefully you've already talked to him about it because the Bible says come before him with your needs. But let's find a place tonight and maybe ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that I need to give up to receive this miracle? What is it, Lord, that you're asking of me that I'm having problems, I'm doubting it? Maybe it's those evil questions the enemy's putting in our minds. Like I said, when I laid in that hospital, the enemy was filling me up with all this. This is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and it scared me to death. And I had to pray through about it. I had to say, Lord, I know that you're in charge. I know you're the miracle worker, and I need a miracle. And it wasn't easy because sometimes the evidence is stacking up against a miracle. But God still works in miracles. But let's find a place tonight to pray. We'll put some music on. And, and let's just ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that I need to give up? Is it pride? Is it doubt? Is it my way of life? Is it something, Lord, that, I can, that you can move in my life? Amen. Let's pray tonight.